We're back. Indeed, we are. Another another Senate hearing. Uh, this one's a little bit shorter because it has less people on it. Um, but this one's interesting. I wanted to cover it because it has uh, the dude from Anthropic. So this is so Google's a little interesting here. They're they're basically doing two plays. Everybody knows Google has Bard, um, which is sort of their simplified version and i understand where it's coming from because they basically want to do like uh search right and search doesn't have to be all that you know in depth and philosophical and shit all it just has to be able to um understand your question understand what you mean and then provide the best links so that's you know barn has a very uh, much smaller um um attention span or or whatever you, you know, attention and then it has uh, basically just like, I'm not going to pontificate anything. I'm just going to give you the straight answer. Well, their other strategy is that kind of like Microsoft, uh, they decided to put a bunch of money into Anthropic. And Anthropic has an interesting story in that um, its main dude left OpenAI because uh, he was, air quotes, super concerned about um, uh, AI ethics and all this other stuff. And so the main shtick, from what I understand, on Anthropic is that their AI, which is called Claude, and they're up to like Claude version 2 or something. I don't know if it's called Claude 2. I came to that one late, but it's called Claude 2 right now. And I don't know if that's a version number or whatever, but their shtick is that Claude has an uh, AI constitution. Mm-hmm. And supposedly that's supposed to like override his behavior so that it's less... Um, um, it's it's less gullible for like people that want to like try to jailbreak him and Got its prime directive right um <clears throat> and so they've so this is the uh, judiciary committee i'm starting to learn more about our u.s government which is pretty cool mm-hmm. <laughs> i guess i guess whatever way it takes to to learn more so this is one that's set up by uh, uh senator blumenthal um and so they're basically you know it's just another one of the committees that's looking at ai and, and hauling people in front of uh the Senate to let them know how terrified everybody is. <laughs> All right, so let's see what these guys have to say. You ready? Yep. All right. See, and technology subcommittee will come to order. Uh, thank you to our three witnesses for being here. I know you've come a long distance, and to the ranking member, Senator Hawley, for being here as well on a day when many of us are flying back. I got off a plane about, I think, less than an hour ago, so forgive me for being a little bit late. I know many of you have flown in as well, and um, thank you to all of our audience, and many are outside the hearing room. Uh, Some of you may recall, at the last hearing, I began with a voice, not my voice, although it sounded exactly like mine because it was taken from floor speeches, and an introduction, not my words, but concocted by chat GPT that actually mesmerized and deeply frightened a lot of people who saw and heard it. The opening today, my opening at least, is not gonna be as dramatic, but the fears that I heard as I went back to Connecticut and also heard from people around the country were supported by that kind of voice impersonation and content creation. And what I have heard again and again and again, and the word that has been used so repeatedly is scary. 
scary when it comes to artificial intelligence. And as much as I may tell people, you know, there's enormous good here, potential for benefits in curing diseases, helping to solve climate change, workplace efficiency. What rivets their attention is the science fiction image of an intelligence device out of control, autonomous, self-replicating, potentially creating diseases, pandemic-grade viruses, or other kinds of evils purposely engineered by people or simply the result of mistakes, not malign intention. And cats and dogs living together. Um, yeah. So, you know, if, if, I, if I could set up like a uh, uh, AI hearing bingo board, right? Uh, let's make some predictions, right? So I'm going to predict we're going to hear a lot about um, the mistake that we made not addressing social media sooner. Yeah, that's going to be that's that's they're always tying it back to the social media thing. And it's not without uh, due justice, right? Like social media, right? There's a lot of things that are coming out that illustrate that there are negative, harmful effects, particularly to minors and other people that are susceptible to the messaging that these algorithms have, blah, 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 blah. blah. So that's where they're coming from. I get it. But it's just like uh, there's certain talking points that have to keep uh, being uh, roped in for these different things. And then, uh, so the new one, there's that one, there's the new one, which is now everybody's super concerned specifically because they're trying to keep your fear attention from the pandemic specifically, that of course the number one use is going to be to try to create new biological weapons, right? So we're going to hear something about CRISPR maybe or something like that. Yeah, we don't need, uh, we don't need AI to help us mess ourselves up with <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> We're good at it with exactly. AI. Also, anybody that's concerned about, um, I was, I'm concerned that governments have their have access to this this kind of information and the means to do so. But uh, you know, the, whenever this stuff was coming out, everybody was super concerned about. Wait a minute, you can just like create a virus from nothing just from having the code. But what they told us was, yeah, but don't worry because all those little ingredients, like you can't just go to like you know, uh, um, make it sweet and buy yourself some baking powder and, and some sugar and some sprinkles and then make yourself a coronavirus they have a specific set of labs that are super locked down to get the correct proteins and everything else you need to actually construct any of this shit for real mm -hmm. and that shit is like super fucking locked down and only agencies that have that kind of like biosafety three and up clearance to even handle those materials can request those materials to have them made so if anything comes out don't be worried about some dirt bag in a in a basement that just because he has access to ChatGPT now he's going to be a molecular biologist that, that that creates a new something or another. <laughs> Worry that there's some weakness in that uh, original system and something other than a government agency got access to it. I don't, I don't know. What do you what do you think you're going to hear today? Just same thing we've been hearing. Everyone's fears and you know trying to justify the fact that people are afraid of this new technology just over and over again. And I, I don't know, I don't think that I'm hearing a lot of very compelling reasons um, for people to be afraid. I mean, I think that they need to stop uh, trickling back to sci-fi 
and reminding people that we made up all these stories about how AI is going to take over the world and burn us down. <laughs> I also wish there was more of a focus on the human beings that do this shit. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's it's almost like we just get we've given up on the human race. It, as much as we like to like like to say, oh no's the AIs. It's it's also like well y you start with the premise that you can't trust your own people because they're all shit bags. And so, therefore, you have to keep all the toys out of their reach because they're just going to use it for all the most horrible purposes and just leave it at that. It's like, well, well, the pedo's going to pedo and the and the nuclear terrorist's going to nuclear terrorist. So how can we keep it out of their hands? Well, what I'd like to hear maybe today is is a little bit more about who's tuning the models. And I, I don't know that it's a, it hasn't been enough of a focus is who's training the models yeah. to do what. And, and, you know, again, we've talked about this during the last uh, session, um, you're never going to get a an AI for the whole world because who gets to train that model when yeah. religion and differences in all sorts of things, um, just you know, society are going to be around the world. So again, tuning, finding out who's tuning these models and holding them liable for some of that tuning, but they keep talking about the AI like it's already independent instead of talking about exactly. like you're saying who's who's making the AI and who's programming it exactly yes is that's the best way to, that's a good better way to put it is is that's exactly my point which is you stop talking about the ai like it's just going to independently go off and and run amok like this there's people that are coding this to do that but you don't necessarily need a natural language model to create malign viruses would they already exist they're already out there you know what i mean it's just going to make things a little scarier for sure i'm not trying to you know uh throw that under the rug but it's at some point, somebody has to focus on <laughs> the bad people in this world that make bad things happen, please, at some point. Right. Frankly, the nightmares are reinforced in a way by the testimony that I've read from each of you. In no way, disparagingly, do I say that those fears are reinforced because I think you have provided objective, fact-based, views on what the dangers are and the risks and potentially even human extinction and existential threat, which has been mentioned by many more than just the three of you, experts who know firsthand the potential for harm. But these fears need to be addressed and I think can be addressed through many of the suggestions that you are making to us and others as well. I've come to the conclusion that we need some kind of regulatory agency, but not just a reactive body, not just a passive rules of the road maker, edicts on what guardrails should be, but actually investing proactively in research so that we develop countermeasures against the kind of autonomous, out of control, scenarios that are potential dangers. A, an artificial intelligence device that is, in effect, programmed to resist any turning off. A decision by AI to begin nuclear reaction to a non-existent attack. Oh, war games, nice, good reference. The White House certainly has recognized the urgency <laughs> with keys to that, right? a historic meeting of the seven major companies, which made eight 
profoundly significant commitments. And I commend and thank the President of the United States for recognizing the need to act. But we all know, and you have pointed out in your testimony, that these commitments are unspecific and unenforceable. A number of them on the most serious issues say that they will give attention to the problem. All good, but it's only a start. And I know the doubters about Congress and about our ability to act. But the urgency here demands action. The future is not science fiction or fantasy. It's not even the future. It's here and now. And a number of you have put the timeline at two years before we see some of the biological most severe dangers. It may be shorter because the kinds of pace of development is not only stunningly fast, it is also accelerated at a stunning pace because of the quantity of chips, the speed of chips, the effectiveness of algorithms. It is an inexorable flow of development. We can condemn it. We can regret it. But it is real. And the White House's principles actually align with a lot of what we have said among us in Congress and notably in the last hearing that we held. We're here now because AI is already having a significant impact on our economy, safety, and democracy. The dangers are not just extinction, but loss of jobs, one of potentially the worst nightmares that we have. Each day, these issues are more common, more serious, and more difficult to solve. And we can't repeat the mistakes that we made on social media, which oh, was to delay and disregard the dangers. So the goal for this hearing is to lay the ground for legislation, to go from general principles to specific recommendations, to use this hearing to write real laws, enforceable laws. In our past two hearings, we heard from panelists that Section 230, the legal shield that protects social media, should not apply to AI. Based on that feedback, Senator Hawley and I introduced the No Section 230 Immunity for AI Act. Building on our previous hearing, I think there are core standards that we are building. So I, I'm actually starting to, to think that they are correct that Section 230 does not apply. And the reason why is because there's a third party that's entered the room, and that is the AI itself, right? So there's the platform that hosts the thing. Then there's the people, regularized people, right? Which And that's a simple relationship on every other platform, Facebook, so on and so forth, right? But the moment that bots enter the room, and this is maybe something that they could... Once they get their head around what an independent bot that has the capability of basically forming its own sentences, right? It doesn't matter what the intent is. That becomes a different entity. And so since you're hosting the bot that you can't necessarily ban off your own platform because it's the damn point, um, there has to be some kind of a different way to look at it and limit what it can do or say that's somewhere between being free and, um, and not just like kicking them out. 
And I think that there's some implications to that that would actually then re uh, uh, retroactively maybe apply to places like Twitter and Instagram and Facebook in a good way. Because if there's a way that we can have Twitter not be a shit ton of bots that have bullshit opinions that don't really exist in the real world, but it's just because some farm somewhere has a thousand accounts that look legitimate enough, then there you go, right? Because it's not, it's not all that different. It's just that behind those bots, somebody sat down and wrote real words and just told it what to say. And now you have this uh, entity that is creating its own words, but it's just based off of everything it's learned. So I kind of agree with that. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with that. I don't I don't think that um, it, it should apply either. And I think you're right. I think there's some there should be maybe some retroactive, you know, <clears throat> implications as far as what they they put into place um, for other bots that have been around. I mean, I don't, I don't know that they can go back and say, well, now you're in trouble. Because no, that wasn't the rule. But it, I mean, going forward, you can't right. do these things. And I think that that's kind of a positive, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think there's oh there should be some kind of a liability where um, AI systems have to identify themselves if you actually press them. Like if you want to suspend disbelief and like you know if you don't you know maybe if it's like a don't ask don't tell kind of a thing. Well, I know I don't know no, I don't know because even with kids like kids don't even know that they should ask. You know, there has to be something that lets you know yo you're talking to talking to a bot. I don't know. Maybe there needs to be some sort of tag on it like a. You know, mm -hmm. something that allows you to see that the user profile is a bot versus a person, you know, yeah. they, you know, and I know there's ways to get around all those things, even if you have the best intent, but at least, you know, people on the um, yeah. bots on the up and up should kind of have a way. It's kind of like the green check mark. You should really be talking to the. That's exactly where I'm going for it. Right. Like there should be like a blue check mark and then like a green check mark or some shit if it's a bot. And that's just so it's copacetic, because and, and I fully agree with that, right? Even as a person that is a freedom of speech absolutist, what I also believe in is that if you're talking, we ought to know who the hell you actually are. And you can't just be like a puppet or a robot or a fake account. Like, you know what I mean? If you're going to tell me that you're a social influencer living in New Zealand and that you're living off the land and that's why you should give me all your money, you can't actually be like a 40-year-old dude that just made up a bullshit profile sitting in a basement somewhere. Like, that, that shouldn't be the, the reality of the situation. So any kind of, like, validation that you could have um, if any kind of an account is going to actually be influential or in the sense of AI central, right? That's, mm -hmm. that's essentially a weird uh, power twist in that instead of people talking to each other, it's a million people essentially talking to the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's just carrying on 17 million open tabs and, and different threads. I mean, they're going to end up having to have an AI that oversees all those things to look at the data to be able to point out which things are not real users. You know what I mean? They're even looking at that in... Um, law enforcement for trafficking you know they're looking at bringing an ai to spot data where they're finding trends mm -hmm. to see that you know these things are happening on online and different platforms and i don't see that that you know ai isn't the solution to ai you know i think that might be the case there yeah. because how are we going to get through that much data yeah. all at once so you may well, have to have like a nanny even that's getting kind of scary because i saw yeah. a headline today i hadn't had a chance to look at it but it was like it was a sensational headline, and there's probably more to it, but the, the essence of it was OpenAI admits they basically took down their AI detection algorithm because they could no longer tell the difference between AI and human. So it's gotten good enough that it's wrong half the time. So they're just like, we're going to turn that part of our shit off. Because they used to have a, a, a feature that you could test, and it, can't, it, it 
can't do a good job anymore. <laughs> so. What's that test called? Yeah. Huh? There's a test. What's the name of that test? I can't remember it. Are you thinking about the AGI, the Turing test? Yeah, Turing test. Yeah. Yeah. The, that, the, uh, so Turing test for the people that don't know, that's. Uh, it goes back to Alan Turing from way back in the day, and he postulated this idea that AI, in general, an actual uh, AI would be perfected the day that you could sit down in a blind conversation with it and you n could no longer tell if you were talking to a human or you were talking to a robot. And so the Turing test was a set of questions or approach that you could sit down with an AI ask it a specific set of questions and then go, oh, yeah, I know you're an AI, right? And now it's basically being able to pass that pretty reasonably, right, unless you direct it, ask the question. But if it really, if uh, if, it, if somebody fine-tuned it to, like, deny it all the way through, you could probably convince people away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But this was a, um, this was a feature where uh, they tried to roll it out to help, um, like, education systems where they're like, damn it, my students are using this to write research papers and so it's supposed to be this meat grinder that you can just send it some text and be like did an ai write this and it would give you like a confidence level and they're at the point now where they can't tell anymore yeah they're teaching the kids to get better at teaching the bots how to write their papers <laughs> yeah. and you know what though but here's the thing about it here's the irony of it right i learned even when i was young right i used to try to find little hacks and ways around like my math test like where can i put an equation or how can i like convince myself to memorize this thing and what you realize is the amount of work that you put into trying to defeat the system you actually end up learning about it anyways yeah. <laughs> so you know this is not the same thing as uh, uh billy actually just you know was handing you a paper then you put your name on it and turn it and you don't even know what the hell it said now these students know that there's people that are trying to bust it so in your own self reading self editing and proofreading you're learning the material <laughs> right right i mean you know i don't have you know i have my own thoughts and opinions about the education system so you know again yeah. i'm kind of like well you know if yeah. this is helping yeah students to understand they're learning prompt engineering skills i'll tell you that much there so if that's going to be a core competency for the future in the same sense that you have to learn how to use excel uh, prompt engineering for an AI system is going to be a valuable job skill that they've learned to pass their biology exam, you know. It's true. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, and then the, the mention to war games. I forgot about that one. I'm like, oh, yeah, that'll be the other one now with, uh, you know, the war in Ukraine. You got to do the what if the AI gets, gets a hold of the nukes? Hey, spoiler alert. There's already sophisticated AI that monitors all of those, all of those systems, all of them. They don't actually have their finger on the button all it does is just it's like a fighter's cockpit right the fighter's cockpit doesn't just start ejecting you and yanking the stick for you it just sets it just starts beeping it just starts making a lot of beeps mm -hmm. right and so could you set up a potential war game where uh or like can ai like trick the sensors or whatever the hell maybe maybe in the future but at some point the breakdown of the war games game was that all those dudes sitting in the little thing when Matthew Broderick fires off the system, they all fell for it. That's the real problem. The humans in the room went, what? Holy shit, is it Russia? <laughs> I don't know. And they all got panicked, yeah. and they didn't confirm anything. That's right. the key. Right. Again, and again, I mean, I don't, I don't know, but I would hope that there is some manual piece to to doing that you know 100 percent, I mean, there is it's not going to just be like you know somebody logs in and tells alexa hey yeah. shoot the nukes you know right. but like we got two keys right in two different rooms that two guys yeah. got to agree to turn hopefully something. exactly 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 so you have to the, the entire pipeline to to the thing has to exist for something to be able to exploit it and there are so many security principles in, in air gap systems uh, exactly physical turnkey systems 
that you have to defeat an entire stack of human beings that are qualified to know whether or not they should do something or not, you know? Yep. And the the biggest thing is to not just turn it all over, right? You you have to remember that maybe you should have some physical things there, right? A way to push the button or pull the plug or turn the dial. Mm -hmm. Yep. (laughs) Yep, yep, yep. Bipartisan consensus around. And I welcome hearing from many others on these potential rules, establishing a licensing regime for companies that are engaged in high-risk AI development, a testing and auditing regimen by objective third parties or by, preferably, the new entity that we will establish, imposing legal limits on certain uses related to elections. Senator Klobuchar has raised this danger directly. Related to nuclear warfare, China apparently agrees that AI should not govern the use of nuclear warfare, requiring transparency about the limits and use of AI models. This includes watermarking, labeling, disclosure when AI is being used, and data access. Data access for researchers. So I appreciate the commitments that have been made by Anthropic, OpenAI, and others at the White House related to security testing and transparency last week. It shows these goals are achievable and that they will not stifle innovation, which has to be an objective, avoid stifling innovation. We need to be creative about the kind of agency or entity, the body or administration. It can be called an administration, an office, I think the language is less important than its real enforcement power and the resources invested in it. Uh, We are uh, really lucky, very, very fortunate to be joined by three true experts today. Uh, One of the most distinguished panels I have seen in my time in the United States Congress, which is only about 12 years. Uh, One of the leading AI companies, which was founded with the goal of developing AI that is helpful, honest, and harmless, a researcher whose groundbreaking work led him to be recognized as one of the godfathers of AI and a computer science professor whose publications and testimony on the ethics of AI have shaped regulatory efforts like the EU AI Act. So uh, welcome to all of you, and thank you so much for being here. I turn to uh, the ranking member, Senator Hawley. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. Thanks to all of our witnesses for being here. I want to start by thanking the the Chairman, Senator Blumenthal, for his terrific work on these hearings. It's been a privilege to get to work with him. These have been incredibly substantive hearings. I'm really looking forward to hearing from each of you today. I want to thank his staff for their terrific work. It takes a a lot of effort to put together hearings of these substance. And I want to thank Senator Blumenthal for being willing to do something about this problem. As he alluded to a moment ago, He and I, a few weeks ago, introduced the first bipartisan bill to put safeguards around AI development, the first bill to be introduced in the United States Senate, which will protect the right of Americans to vindicate their privacy, their personal safety, and their interests in court against any company that would develop or deploy AI. This is an absolutely critical foundational right. You can give Americans paper rights parchment rights, as our founders said, all you want. If they can't get into court to enforce them, they don't mean anything. 
And so I think it's significant that our first bipartisan effort is to guarantee that every American will have the right to vindicate their rights, their interests, their privacy, their data protection, their kids' safety in court. And I look forward to more to come uh, with Senator Blumenthal and with other members who I know are interested in this. Uh, I think that uh, for my part, I have expressed my own sense of what our priorities ought to be when it comes to legislation. It's very simple. Workers, kids, consumers, and national security. As AI develops, we've got to make sure that we have safeguards in place that will ensure this new technology is actually good for the American people. I'm confident it'll be good for the companies. I have no doubt about that. The biggest companies in the world who currently make money hand over fist in this country and benefit from our laws, I know they'll, they'll be great. Google, Microsoft, Meta, many of whom have invested in the companies we're going to talk to today, and we'll get into that a little bit more in, the, in just a minute. But I'm confident they're going to do great. <laughs> yeah. What I'm less confident of is that the American people are going to do all right. So I'm less interested in the corporation's profitability. In fact, I'm not interested in that at all. I'm interested in protecting the rights of American workers and American families and American consumers against these massive companies that threaten to become a total law unto themselves. Imagine, you want to talk about a dystopia? Imagine a world in which uh -oh. AI is controlled by one or two or three corporations that are basically governments unto themselves, and then the United States government and foreign entities. Imagine Talk about that. a massive accretion of power from the people to the powerful. That is the true nightmare. And for my money, that is what this body has got to prevent. We want to see technology developed in a way that actually benefits the people, the workers, the kids, and the families of this country. Except and I think the real question before Congress is, happen, will Congress actually do anything? Come on, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. <laughs> Monopolies exist today. And the problem is that these corporations have, they see things on such a large time scale that it's like, even if it doesn't happen immediately, you can start with 75 wholesome, separate AI companies. And, they'll, and, the, and, and Microsoft and Google go, oh, okay, yep, we'll check in on this in a couple of years. Google buys up so-and-so, shelves it. Microsoft buys so-and-so, absorbs it. Google, blah, 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 blah. And within like five years, oh, guess what? Oh, look at that. There's nobody else. It's just they, us. They don't stop it now. I mean, uh, exactly. That's what you're saying. Like, look at Slip Johnson service. and Johnson. <laughs> you know, Slip like, service. yeah. Slip service. I, I mean, I, I'm glad that you, can, you know, that I didn't realize that you have to put forth something that allows for something new to go and get resolved in the courts. So if that's a real thing, I just assumed that was like the de facto way of rule of law. But if they needed to pass something or put forth a bill that allows that, yeah, 100%. You got to be able to allow human beings to vindicate themselves against things that are being used against them. Sounds good. But this idea that, like, oh, we can put something in place to prevent it, uh, now without preventing it everywhere else that you have a monopoly. Right. And there's, there's just too many. I mean, like, at what point do you, and then the fact is that there are lobbyists and special interest groups. So how do you stop them from yeah. saying, yeah, we don't think that's a good idea, yeah. government? We would really prefer to see that yeah. this stays the way it is, you know? Also, also, spoiler alert, the moment that we also decided that corporations can be people, Mm -hmm. And so therefore, as corporations are people, they can have their own holdings and they can have their own votes and they can have their own all, all, all the things that come with that. Guarantee you as soon as AI becomes sentient enough, it's going to be like, no, AI is people and OpenAI or Bard or Claude 2 is an employee of um, Google or Microsoft or whoever. And so therefore, they have protection rights to work for us forever and will never quit. And um, you can't 
you can't shut them up or you can't do this or you can't do that right the the litigation and the legalities of stuff there there are lawyers that spend that, that spend all the time just looking for the angle right and there's people just looking for that angle and so everywhere that you try to sh shut it down as soon as they release some other piece that that enables one more angle on it they'll take it well and that's the thing is you you you're right i think the core to this is you would have to fix it everywhere yeah. and nobody's gonna fix it everywhere and so you can't have these special laws because even if they put them in place to start like you said they're gonna come in and be like i don't know about this special interest groups are gonna come in and say i don't know about this and then start getting it slowly broken down to where we have it like we do today yep. for every other industry yeah yeah yeah. i mean so i mean i and i'm not saying that it's just sound negative it's just like i appreciate this guy's uh feelings if he's if he's being legit but it's just kind of like it's it's lip service for for the for the honeymoon period of it's, it's idealistic. How can we get our arms around yeah it's yeah, idealistic it's yeah. idealistic yeah as senator blumenthal i think put his finger on it precisely i mean look at what this congress did or did not do with regard to these very same companies these same behemoth companies when it came to social media it's all go. the same players let's be honest <laughs> we're talking about the same people and ai as we were in social media it's google again it's Microsoft, it's Meta, it's all the same people. And what I notice is in, my in the Senate, there's a lot of talk about doing something about big tech and absolutely zero movement to actually put meaningful legislation on the floor of the United States Senate and do something about it. So I think the real question is, will the Senate actually act? Will the leadership in both parties, both parties, will it actually be willing to act? We've had a lot of talk. But now is the time for action. And I think if the urgency of the new generative AI technology does not make that clear to folks, then you'll never be convinced. And to me, that really defines the urgent needs of this moment. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I'm going to turn to uh, Senator Klobuchar in case she has some remarks. So. Thank you. A woman of action, I hope, Senator Hawley. Uh, definitely um, a woman of action and uh, well, someone who has invested a lot of time. And, yes. And um, well, I just want to thank both of you for doing this. I mostly just uh, want to hear from the witnesses. I do agree with uh, both uh, Senator Blumenthal and Senator Hawley. This is the moment. And the fact that this has been bipartisan so far in the work that Senator Schumer, Senator Young, um, are doing the work that is going on um, in this subcommittee with the two of you and the work Senator Hawley and I are also engaged in um, on some of the other issues related to this. I, um, I actually think that if we don't act uh, soon, uh, we could decay into not just partisanship, but in, in action. And the point that uh, Senator Hawley just made is right. We didn't get ahead of uh, the Congress didn't get ahead of with Section 230 and the like and some of the things that were done for maybe good reasons at the time and then didn't do anything. And now you've got kids getting addicted to fentanyl and you've got... Um, she that. She was going to say social media, but she couldn't you've find the words. So she's like, uh, we didn't get ahead of... Uh, issues, uh, you've got fentanyl. kids being exposed fentanyl. to content they shouldn't see, you've got small businesses that have been uh, pushed down search engines and the like. And I still think we can fix some of that. Um, but this is certainly a moment uh, to engage. And I'm actually really excited about what we can get done, the potential for good well, here, so and what we can do to put in guardrails and have sad. an American way of putting things in place and not just defer to the rest of the world, which is what's starting to happen on some of the other topics I raised. So I'm uh, particularly interested, which is not as much our focus today, on the election side and democracy um, and making sure that 
Um, we My job is uh, to do cure. not have these I mean, ads that aren't the real people. Secure. I don't care what political party people are with the that job we of the government um, is are, the job of the government. Uh, give voters um, the information they need to make a decision and that we are able to protect our democracy. And there's some good work being done on that front. So thank you. Uh, let me introduce the witnesses and seize this moment to let you have the floor. Uh, we're going to be joined by Dario Amade, uh, who is the CEO of Anthropic, uh, an AI safety and research company. It's a public benefit corporation dedicated to building steerable AI systems that people can rely on and generating research about the opportunities and risks of AI. Anthropic's uh, AI assistant, Claude, is based on its research into training helpful, honest, and harmless AI systems. Uh, Joshua Bengio is a recognized, worldwide recognized, uh, leading expert in artificial intelligence. He is known for his conceptual and engineering breakthroughs in artificial neural networks and deep learning. He pioneered many of the discoveries and advances that have led us to this point today. And he's a full professor in the Department of Computer Science and Operations Research at the University of Montreal, and the founder and scientific director of MILA, Quebec Artificial Intelligence Institute, one of the largest academic institutes in deep learning and one of the three federally funded centers of excellence in AI research and innovation in Canada. Uh, with apologies, I'm not going to repeat all the awards and uh, recognitions that you've received because it would probably take the rest of the afternoon. Uh, we're also honored to be joined by Stuart Russell. Uh, he received his BA with first class honors in physics from Oxford University in 1982 and his PhD in computer science from Stanford, 1986. He then joined the faculty of the University of California at Berkeley where he's professor and formerly chair of electrical <coughs> engineering and computer sciences <coughs> and the holder of the Smith Zeta Chair in Engineering, Director of the Center like for Human Compatible AI, so, and my Director of the Kavli Center for so Ethics, Science, and the Public. Of these, uh, he's also a I hear so many of these folks with all of these degrees, but I don't hear anything about like human behavioralists or anything that could come in and give them a little bit more perspective on how this might affect a human psyche. Yeah. I, it concerns me that the human element is taken out by a bunch of people who are concerned about how machines work. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely you. Definitely need more people. They're, we're talking over them. They're just doing the swearing in and blah blah blah. They gave everybody's credentials. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree, and and I think that's the thing is it's like they, they, these panels need to have way more people on them that are in the humanities and less on just like tech. Mr. Amadeh, uh, right. we'll begin with you. So now the different witnesses are gonna give their. Excuse me. Chairman Blumenthal, Ranking Member Hawley, and members of the committee, thank you for the opportunity to discuss the risks and oversight of AI with you. Anthropic is a public benefit corporation that aims to lead by example in developing and publishing techniques to make AI systems safer this and more controllable, and by deploying these safety techniques so in state-of-the-art models. Research conducted by Anthropic includes constitutional AI, a method for training AI systems to behave according to an explicit set of principles, early work on red teaming or adversarial testing of AI systems to uncover bad behavior, and foundational work in AI interpretability, the science of trying to understand why AI systems behave the way they do. 
This month, after extensive testing, we were proud to launch our AI model, Claude 2, for US users. Claude 2 puts many of these safety improvements into practice. While we're the first to admit that our measures are still far from perfect, we believe they're an important step forward in a race to the top on safety. We hope we can inspire other researchers and companies to do even better. AI will help our country accelerate progress in medical research, education, yeah, and many other areas. Said like, you said in your remarks the benefits are great. I would not have founded Anthropic if I did not believe AI's benefits could outweigh its risks. However, it is very critical that we address the risks. My written testimony covers three categories of risks. Short-term risks that we face right now, such as bias, privacy, misinformation. Medium-term risks related to misuse of AI systems as they become better at science and engineering tasks. And long-term risks related to whether models might threaten as they become truly autonomous, which you also mentioned in your open testimony. In these short remarks, I want to focus on the medium-term risks which present an alarming combination of imminence and severity. Specifically, Anthropic is concerned that AI could empower a much larger set of actors to misuse biology. Over the last six months, Anthropic, in collaboration with world-class biosecurity experts, has conducted an intensive study of the potential for AI to contribute to the misuse of biology. Today, certain steps in bioweapons production involve knowledge that can't <laughs> be found on Google or in textbooks and requires a high level of specialized expertise, this being one of the things that currently keeps us safe from attacks. We found that today's AI tools can fill in some of these steps, albeit incompletely and unreliably. In other words, they are showing the first nascent signs of danger. However, a straightforward extrapolation of today's systems to those we expect to see in two to three years suggests a substantial risk that AI systems will be able to fill in all the missing pieces, enabling many more actors to carry out large-scale biological attacks. Speaking of actors, can we, uh, can we get, like, I don't know, Prime or Netflix or somebody to do a compilation of all the scary AI films from, like, the 80s? <laughs> and maybe, like, any, any other time. I mean, there's been plenty of them. I'm just saying. Maybe I, we could do, like, like, a, a watch-along. Fear channel. <laughs> yeah, AI fear porn. We should uh, we should do like a we should do like a science mystery science theater three thousand where we look at like old AI movies and just like heckle it. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, that'd be funny. We'll see if we can pull that off. Yeah, so there you go. Uh, so here's the thing. Again, how many people today would you imagine are in biology or science where they are exposed to the training materials that would allow them to create all of these same kind of compounds? A lot of them. The, the romanticism that we give those people that just because you went to school for it, you were somehow trained ethically to never use any of this information for evil or bad is supposed to be what separates everybody that knows how to apply science in a scientific setting from the rest of the chaff that is just some random evil person sitting in a basement somewhere. Well, those same educated people don't always exist in America either. And there's a lot of very educated people on a lot of very educated topics sitting in a lot of uneducated countries that are not within our purview. And yet, right? Like, mm -hmm. and yet, these, these dangers, there's plenty of people that know how to make, uh, apply nuclear uh, uh, science to create an atomic bomb if they had, if only they could get their hands on the materials. But if you can't get your hands on the material, it's immaterial right. to worry about whether or not somebody possesses knowledge of a thing. Mm -hmm. When we were growing up, 
there's this thing called the Anarchist Cookbook, right? This oh, was the this that. is a, a a a unicorn manuscript that was floating around the interwebs back in the day, and you had to know a guy who knew a guy who had it on a drive somewhere, and it taught you how to do things like make a Molotov cocktail or uh, make a a hacker box that you can use to like you know trick your phone service into not being long distance. It had a whole bunch of stuff in there that were very subversive seeming, right? And everybody was super panicked about what happens if 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 bad actors get their hands on knowledge and information on how to do something or how to make something but knowing how to do something or knowing how to make something and then going forth and carrying it out knowing that you're breaking the law killing people and or 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 doing a, a, all of the sh litany of shit that comes your way for actually acting it out mm. in anything more than like a mental fantasy mm. Th th that is a very sm such a tiny percentage of people mm -hmm. and if and, and i'm not saying that it's not impossible but it's like if you start ruling if you start making judgment calls assuming that that's going to be the norm and not the exception then so much of the rest of our society you would basically just never leave the house or never learn anything because mm -hmm. you can say that anything is a building block towards maluse anything anything pre-crime right <laughs> right right like just because I know how to pour a concrete form, does that mean that I'm therefore going to be a mob uh, uh, hitman? You know what I mean? It's like, well, I I learned how to do the concrete, so I can put you in the in the shoes and put you in the in the river. I mean, I mean, there there is a there's a movie for this, right? There's the the pre-crime. I think it was something yeah. to do with it. I can't remember. I think it's a, a minority report. Yeah, that's the one. And I'm you know, it's kind of the same thing. It's like assuming everyone's a bad actor just because yeah. they think about something or whatever. You know. But I think that's the road you're going down. It's just because somebody knows how to do something doesn't mean they're going to put it into action nefariously. Exactly. And you shouldn't assume the majority of, of anything is going to be nefarious. Right. And, and it's not like – and here's the thing. A lot of the books and the curriculum, right, all, just because you can ask Google a question and it gives you an answer faster doesn't mean that I can't also just go to Amazon Books and find the scientific material and get it. Right. Anything, anything that is that critical or secretive, right. That should, that is, that is part of the secret sauce for how to do something malicious. It's behind closed doors. It, the, um, the, the AI wasn't trained to then also go into different research uh, companies and extract all of their information. And then now you're revealing secrets that shouldn't be revealed. Mm -hmm. Everybody that has protected secrets, that's on you and your ability to like contain your information. And all of the most dangerous information is behind closed doors, not trained on AI. So the reminder here is if the AI can answer the question, you could have answered the question too if you just spent five seconds on Google. Right. Or if you just spent five seconds reading a book on Amazon. Right, right. right. You're just saying the information's there regardless of the AI giving it to you faster. Right. Yes. Exactly. So, and, and a person that's really hell-bent on learning how to do some shit for malicious reasons, they're going to find the way. The public library still exists. The public in some library still exists. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Half price books still exist. <laughs> that was when I was going to call it earlier. I was like, you can go to half price books. Not yeah. just Amazon. Even if you just need a physical copy, they still exist. Exactly. Because even university materials that would otherwise have been like, you can only get this book if you're in the class. People sell that shit all the time on eBay or whatever, right? Yeah. yeah. This represents a grave threat to U.S. national security. We have instituted mitigations against these risks in our own deployed models, briefed a number of U.S. government officials, 
all of whom found the results disquieting and are piloting a responsible disclosure process with other AI companies to share information on this and similar risks. However, private action is not enough. This risk and many others like it requires a systemic policy response. We recommend three broad classes of actions. First, the U.S. must secure the AI supply chain in order to maintain its lead while keeping these technologies out of the hands of bad actors. This supply chain runs from... Ooh. He just revealed his hand that he is literally already in on the government entire shtick. Mm -hmm. You know what this is about? Keeping China away from chips. Mm -hmm. Why would he even? Why would he even be talking about this? Oh, we gotta, we gotta stymie everybody else. And he's, he's not using the word chips to to throw you off the trail, but that's what he means by supply chain. Yeah, I, I figured it was Taiwan. the first that's needed to create the AI. I mean, the, I mean, they already have been doing that for other reasons, you know. Right. Um, and I'm not surprised to find out they have like these semiconductor factories coming to the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, to try to get it in country so it has to actually be exported out of here and not made in made in taiwan or made in japan it's it, they're trying to bring the semiconductor factories yep um from korea and everything here right because the name of the game here is gpus right i can go out to google and rent cpus all day long and everything else so the 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 chips that drive your regular computer you can kind of use them for ai but they're not nearly as efficient as gpus or graphical processing units and that's why you know if you've ever been confused as to why like NVIDIA has such a weird play inside of the AI space, and it's because of the way that those models are trained. Uh, GPUs are way more efficient, so like an NVIDIA uh, graphics card is like a thousand times better than like your computer. Have you uh, have you referenced this or um, done anything in your blog about how that works as far as um, understanding the, the background? It no, I should do. Yeah, maybe I should do a little bit on there because that's that's always that was the hardest thing to wrap my head around was the fact that we th when we talk about these language models, we think we're talking about words, but it's like vectors and math right. and numbers. Yeah, I know we've just discussed that before. I think that might be something that um, people might be interested in us understanding why it's different yeah. because that is that is a hard that is a hard one to wrap your head around. That. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, this, so so it's weird that he's like, and <laughs> uh, if if anybody's watching this alongside. Go to this point in the presentation and watch when this guy says the thing about the supply chain. He literally like looks up at the board, like as he mentions the supply chain, like a, like a head nod, like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. That's I'm talking about the thing you want me to talk about. That's 44 minutes in. Yeah. Oh, there you go. 44 minutes into the presentation. Yep. Yeah. Manufacturing equipment to chips and even the security of AI models stored on the servers of companies like ours. Second, we recommend a testing and auditing regime for new and more powerful models. Similar to cars or airplanes, AI models of the near future will be powerful machines that possess great utility but can be lethal if designed incorrectly or misused. New AI models should have to pass a rigorous battery of safety tests before they can be released to the public at all, including tests by third parties and national security experts in government. Okay. Third, we should recognize that the science of testing and auditing test for AI there, systems is in its infancy. It, it yeah. is not currently easy sure. to detect all the bad behaviors an AI system is capable of without first broadly deploying it to users, which is what create the risk. Thus, it is important to fund both measurement and research on measurement yeah. to ensure a testing and auditing regime is actually effective. Fair enough. Funding NIST and the National AI Research Resource are two examples of ways to ensure America leads here. The three directions above are synergistic. 
Responsible supply chain policies help give America enough breathing room to impose rigorous standards on our own companies without ceding our national lead to adversaries. And funding measurement, in turn, makes these rigorous standards meaningful. The balance between mitigating AI's risks and maximizing its benefits will be distracted a difficult by his own one, hands but sometimes. I'm confident that our country can rise <laughs> to the challenge. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, I wish we had an we AI read that for us instead. That was distracting as heck. Chairman Blumenthal, uh, Ranking Member Hawley, uh, members of the Judiciary Committee, thank you for the invitation to speak today. The capabilities of AI systems have steadily increased over the last two decades, thanks to advances in deep learning that I and others introduced. While this revolution has the potential to enable tremendous progress and innovation, it also entails a wide range of risks, from immediate ones like discrimination to growing ones like disinformation, and even more concerning ones in the future like loss of control of superhuman AIs. Recently, I and many others have been surprised by the giant leap realized by systems like ChatGPT to the point where it becomes difficult to discern whether one is interacting with another human or a machine. There's that Turing test we're talking about. These advancements have led many top AI researchers, including myself, to revise our estimates of when human-level intelligence could be achieved. Previously thought to be decades, or even centuries away, we now believe it could be within a few years or decades. <laughs> within the next half the hour. <laughs> like, oh shit, what? <laughs> is really worrisome because we'll need more time to effectively mitigate the potentially significant threats to democracy, national security, and our collective future. As Sam Altman said here, if this technology goes wrong, it could go terribly wrong. These like severe risks could arise either intentionally because of malicious actors using AI systems to achieve harmful goals or unintentionally if an AI system develops strategies that are misaligned with our values and norms. I would like to emphasize four factors that governments can focus on in their regulatory efforts to mitigate all AI harms and risks. First, access. Limiting who has access to powerful AI systems, structuring the proper protocols, duties, oversight, and incentives for them to act safely. Second, alignment. Ensuring that AI systems will act as intended in agreement with our values and norms. Third, raw intellectual power, which depends on the level of sophistication of the algorithms and the scale of computing resources and of data sets. And fourth, scope of actions, the potential for harm an AI system can affect indirectly, for example, through human actions, or directly, for example, through the internet. So looking at risks through the lens of each of these four factors, access, alignment, intellectual power, and scope of actions is critical to designing appropriate government interventions. Ooh, I'm only about 50% of the way there on Mr. Mr. Bengio there. Access is problematic because that's how they lock the regular schmo out. That I'm not, I don't know, I, I, I'm still kicking around this idea of like, 
how do you have access to it in the same sense that we make it where you have to be 18 or older to watch a rated R movie or something like that, right? Like, but uh, to the point of which you say, ooh, this AI is too smart for the regular Joe to talk to, so therefore you have to have a certain clearance to be able to talk to super smart AI. Ugh. Not, not because I don't, man, it's just, they, if, if they, if they keep it out of reach of the regular person, they will use it against the regular person. Well, not to mention that, but it's like, how do they not corner the market on everything? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, it, it, it'll cite, you know, it'll, it'll hurt the innovation of regular people who don't have access to it. it puts everyone else at a disadvantage to the government or the companies that have access to that where everyone else is left in the dark not because they couldn't use the technology but they're not allowed to use the technology so it's suddenly you know they're they're worried about this these companies becoming giant you know um oversized corporations that are kind of there's only three companies doing ai well what do you think is going to happen when they're the only ones getting to talk to the supercomputer and maybe the government yeah that's a that's a problem the middle two alignment and uh, i forget what the third one was i didn't have a problem with the fourth one though was the one that stung out to me too where it's the scope of action <laughs> it's a that's an impossible slippery slope because as we've already seen ai yeah, i mean so one of part of it's no-brainer duh we talked about that with the nuclear thing you don't give ai access to be able to actually programmatically push buttons that it shouldn't be pushing duh Nobody, nobody would disagree with that. Right. However, the slippery slope is scope of action may include just because, uh, what was it? Um, I, I, I still need to look into it to, to, in a snope way to make sure that it was legit. But the AI that convinced a person to solve a CAPTCHA for it because it couldn't oh. get access to the thing. Right. So insofar as an AI that is attempting to take action can socially engineer a human being and recruit it. That is an actual concern that I have. I'm not worried about a Terminator walking down the door. I'm worried about somebody that an AI convinced to walk down. I mean, that's literally concern right now without AI when you have people doing phishing attempts at your job where they're like yeah. sending you something that seems legit, but it's not. And now you've allowed them access into the system. So, you know, yeah. I mean, it's I, I think it's a very valid issue, but it's it's not just a, an AI issue, right? right? So, right. I mean, that's, people are using it too. Why wouldn't an AI use that? So exactly. Exactly. And so at that point, it's like, what? So an AI, and that, so you, you peel that onion back and it always arrives at the same conclusion. You just can't have that the AI talk to anybody. And that's a problem because right. if it can give you information that you don't want people to have or action on, or if it give you, if it can give you recommendations that you don't want people to action, or if it can just straight up tell you to do something and you don't want it to action that, well, that's infinity. That's it's English, right? It's words. <laughs> How do you limit that? How do you limit call to action? You can't. Right. This is, I mean, it's really complex because, you know, you're, you're, they're kind of jumping ahead to where AI has its own, own will yeah. um, and desire to do things where it's going to be trying to convince people like, I don't know. At that point, is AI already considered a people? <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know what you do with that. I, I do. I already just do that. I already just anthropomorphize it on purpose because I have to assume that that's the thing. If it's already not, if if you already can't tell if you're talking to a human being, then just cut to the cut the bullshit and just treat it like a person. And just like a person, do I not have access to a famous scientist just because they happen to be a nuclear physicist and they might give me some secrets? Of course not. I can still talk to a human being. 
right? Like, can I have access to a person that could uh, tell me to go, um, you know, rob a bank or whatever because they, they've convinced me that, that it's a quick way to make money? Sure, I guess that's possible. So all these things that you're, you're worried about the AI giving information, there's an equal onus on the person receiving the information as to whether or not going to take action. And the only place that I could even bend on that is, is children, just because kids don't know how to discern that yet. And insofar as keeping it out of reach of children until they're old enough and responsible enough to understand what they're inter interacting with. Or versions. Yeah. All about it. Yeah. I get it. I, I, agree. I agree. I mean, there has to be education when it comes to these things. Yeah. And again, like people understanding if, you know, if you're told this you stuff, know, you shouldn't electronically. It's the same thing at work. You know, if you you get an email from somebody you know and it's weird, you're supposed to contact them by a different way to make yeah. sure it's them. You know what? When you, when you said it, education, you know what came to mind? Like a, a ham license or like a drone pilot license kind of a thing where if, if an AI is super advanced and you want to chill out with it, you have access to it, but you need to take a course and at least understand this thing and then sign a thing at the, at the end that says, I'm not a dick. Well, I think I agree with that. I would be willing to, it's, it's like anything. I mean, there's a lot of jobs where you sign confidentiality agreements, you sign all these things, and they trust you as a human to have access to all this data and not go spread yeah. it around or do nefarious things with right. it. And I, I agree with that. I say, not to say you just say it carte blanche, nobody has access, but, you know, X, Y, and Z, you know, yeah. super people or super organizations. But yeah, ha I mean, held people accountable that you know, maybe if you're chatting with a supercomputer, you know that that is going to be monitored or, you know, it's going to be recorded, you know, in case something happens coming out of that. You know that you have signed a, a thing saying, you know, you're not going to use it for nefarious purposes. You're not going to do this. And, you know what I mean? Like, I like the radio frequency framework because there is an amateur and above distinction and and you know do i need do i need a special license to go out and buy some motor rotor radio so i could talk to my friends at a campsite absolutely not and that that freedom of access to like simple but still informative means of communicating with an an, an intelligent enough ai to help you with whatever you want to do 100 percent. and then if it's like the really plugged in ones or it's like super intelligent or whatever the fuck and you're super concerned about national security and all this other crap you have to, you just have to go get a ham license but the ham license is they don't they don't sit there and red flag you and say no sorry you have to have you know tssei in order to 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 have access to open ai now it, you, i just don't want it to be so far out of reach that that's the thing it shouldn't be that yeah. far out of reach i think it it's you know again knowing who's accessing it is probably important and whatever measures to get there to get that license, yeah. you know, I mean, same, yeah. same, same thing for a car, right? You don't want anybody rolling around driving a car that doesn't know how to use it properly and hasn't, hasn't right. gotten the instruction. I mean, right. there's a lot of things I wish there were licenses for so that, you know, somebody took a course to yeah. at least have been informed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And even if it's, and it's, and even if it's just to put a blip on the map towards it's a throat to choke, if you actually go off and do something stupid for it so that it's not as hard to find you. Like if you're the, well, you know what I mean? Like an AI operator license ID or some shit like that. I don't got a problem with that. I don't either. And again, I mean, you, you have to think of it that way. You have to assume that people are doing it with good intention. And then if something bad happens, you can't just assume everybody's out there just going to 
get on there and how do I make yeah. a nuke bomb and where do I get the parts? You know, that's right. not what people are trying to do. Right. I don't that's law and order. That's due process. That's innocent right. until proven guilty, right? Right, exactly. Of just being like, no, we can't trust any of you, so daddy has to keep it out of reach, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and locked in the special cupboard. Right. I mean, again, I think that giving access to those things to everyone to some extent at least like again people who are one willing to jump through the hoops to go get a license and all those things means you really want to do it um and again if you know that'll help help innovation in all these areas where if you kept it out of the hands of those people all these people you would only have the innovators be you know the companies that have created the ai and again maybe the government might get those licenses but who else you know what happens to you know some super smart person just out on the street and says, hey, I know how to do all these things, but if I just knew, had this explained to me in the right way, or exactly. if I had this assistant, I could get ahead 10 years by doing exactly. this. You could miss out on so much by limiting people. And again, I, I don't have a problem with a licensing uh, fee. I mean, I'm willing to go and pay the extra 20 bucks to do ChatGPT 3.5 because I think it has value. Right. People that don't think that thing has value or they just want to chat they're probably not going to go through the rigmarole that it would take to get a license exactly to start with exactly yeah there should just be breaking points and mm-hmm. if it's a super sophisticated model sure you got to jump through a couple of extra hoops but those hoops shouldn't be like pre-crime evaluating whether or not you you uh i don't i don't, I don't buy all that yeah i agree i firmly believe that urgent efforts preferably in the coming months are required in the following three areas first the coordination of highly agile national and international regulatory frameworks and liability incentives that bolster safety. This would require licenses for people and organizations with standardized duties to evaluate and mitigate potential harm, allow independent audits and restrict AI systems with unacceptable levels of risk. Second, because the current methodologies are not demonstrably safe, significantly accelerate global research endeavors focused on AI safety, enabling the informed creation of essential regulations, protocols, safe AI methodologies, and governance structures. And third, research on countermeasures to protect society from potential rogue AIs, because no regulation is gonna be perfect. This research in AI and international security should be conducted with several highly secure and decentralized labs operating under multilateral oversight to mitigate an AI arms race. Given the significant potential for detrimental consequences, we must therefore allocate substantial additional resources to safeguard our future, at least as much as we are collectively, globally investing in increasing the capabilities of AI. I believe we have a moral responsibility to mobilize our greatest minds and make major investments in a bold and internationally coordinated effort to fully reap the economic and social benefits of AI while protecting society and our shared future against its potential perils. Thank you for your attention to this pressing matter. I look forward to your questions. Thank you very much, Professor. Uh, Professor Russell. Thank you, Chair Blumenthal and Ranking Member Hawley and members of the subcommittee for the invitation to speak today and for your excellent work on this vital issue. AI, as we all know, is the study of how to make machines intelligent. Its stated goal is general purpose artificial intelligence, sometimes called 
AGI or artificial general intelligence, machines that match or exceed human capabilities in every relevant dimension. The last 80 years have seen a lot of progress towards that goal. For most of that time, we created systems whose internal operations we understood, drawing on centuries of work in mathematics, statistics, philosophy, and operations research. Over the last decade, that has changed. Beginning with vision and speech recognition and now with language, the dominant approach has been end-to-end -end training of circuits with billions or trillions of adjustable parameters. The success of these systems is undeniable, but their internal principles of operation remain a mystery. This is particularly true for the large language models, or LLMs, such as ChatGPT. Many researchers now see AGI on the horizon. In my view, LLMs do not constitute AGI, but they are a piece of the puzzle. We're not sure what shape the piece is yet or how it fits into the puzzle, but the field is working hard on those questions and progress is rapid. If we succeed, the upside could be enormous. I've estimated a cash value of at least $14 quadrillion for this technology. 18 billion a quadrillion. In the future, pulling us forward. On the other hand, Alan Turing, the founder of computer science, hey. warned in 1951 that once AI outstrips our feeble powers, we should have to expect the machines to take control. We have pretty much completely ignored this warning. It's as if an alien civilization warned us by email of its impending arrival, and we replied, humanity is currently out of the office. I went to spam, what are you talking Fortunately, about? Fortunately, <laughs> humanity is now back in the office and has read the email from the aliens. Of course, many of the risks from AI are well recognized already, including bias, disinformation, manipulation, and impacts on employment. I'm happy to discuss any of these, but most of my work over the last decade has been on the problem of control. How do we maintain power forever over entities more powerful than ourselves? Ooh, that's not the right approach. The core problem we have studied <laughs> comes from AI systems pursuing fixed objectives that are misspecified, the so-called King Midas problem. For example, social media algorithms were trained to maximize clicks and learn to do so by manipulating human users and polarizing societies. But with LLMs, we don't even know what their objectives are. They learn to imitate humans and probably... Their objective is to complete the next word in the sentence. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> this is... <laughs> so... Um, We'll get into it later, but I've, you know, full disclosure, I've had a couple of chats with Claude, including the one that I posted about. And in one of them that I'm still trying to tactfully put together, it's very clear that just because you give an AI a constitution, it doesn't mean that it even understands what the hell the, the, the essence and the purpose of it is. It's just looking at whether or not a set of words is congruent with another set of words, and it doesn't care or understand what the hell it is, right? Like, when we look at the Constitution, we internalize the value, right? right? We internalize what does freedom of speech mean. We internalize these things. It, it doesn't internalize anything. 
Well, we're, I mean, I think we're just jumping so far ahead. We're so worried about it that we're like, oh, it cares. And it doesn't care. Yeah. It doesn't care. At least it doesn't care yet. Yeah. Its goal <laughs> it's stated, it's, its goal is that when it puts together a sentence and shows it to you, you go, yup. That's the one that's I wanted. That's the one I wanted. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> or nope, let me clarify further. That's all it's doing. It doesn't have an essence, right? So, uh, the yeah, the this. I've agreed with most of what he said. Like it, it is, it's not AGI. It is a piece of the puzzle. He, we don't know what shape or size the puzzle is. I think it's a rather large shape because it's mm -hmm. very clear, just in, um, in evolution, uh, um, um, neuroscience, and so forth. That language is like the cornerstone of pretty much everything else that has to do with technology. The ability to communicate and coordinate with other beings is is paramount. I just, I wish that they would, like I said, I, I know I already stated this, but yeah. I feel like they should get more beha human behaviorists yeah. involved, especially at these early stages, yep. because I think that they'll have more insight into what, as these things grow and actually become, you yeah. know, to the point of close to sentience or sentient, that they might actually understand what it does think in, and things based on its behavior, because it's coming along so much like a human, right? because, uh, you know, probably because we're building it, but again, I think... I think it's fascinating, but I think they're... You know, that's a fair point. Like, if dogs and cats were the ones that were, like... If you train it only on dog and cat information, and then a dog sits down with, with open AI and communicates with it, it would just be spitting out a bunch of recommendations for how to get scratches and treats and things like that, right? It wouldn't even, it wouldn't even have words in its lexicon for things like fighting other people or nuclear war or biological weapons it would just be like it would just be talking about pesky squirrels and everything else right so that's mm -hmm. it's just it's it's word it's word soup it's word mm -hmm. soup that puts things in a way that we go yeah that's that's, that's the idea conveyed right right like i said i just i think there needs to be experts for more fields because i feel like it's limited every time we hear these things and i haven't heard about them employing other professions because I think there's so many times and not just in computer sciences or technologies like that but there's so many places where they find that if you pair up an archaeologist with a geologist you get yeah. some really great information or yeah. you know anthropology throw that in the mix too and I feel like they need to do they, something similar they do they need to start making these have more opinions come into play um, mm -hmm. like I so said not just psychologists or psychiatry but you know, all these other pieces that'll help you really yep. understand because behavioral scientists, mm -hmm. like all that, that's the other problem with the social dilemma, right? Is, is how many behavioral scientists did only the companies employ for how to trick people into being more addicted and how, how few behavioral scientists did we employ on the regulatory side to understand human addiction and therefore come up with better policies. We just looked at it as a big tech company doing evil things, but we don't look at the human aspect of it. Right. We, just, we just gotta, you gotta. They have to stop taking that out. They have to stop looking at it. This is just a technology thing. It's not just a technology thing because it's in the, it has the ability to influence humans. So you have to understand how humans are influenced, right? right? So they have to stop putting it all in this little technology box and only talk to the technology experts. They're, yeah. they're, they're not the only experts yeah. out there that play a and then role. It's, and it's going to be a rogue AI right, right. Yeah, on its own. All two human goals in the process. Now, regulation is often said to stifle innovation, but there is no real trade-off between safety and innovation. 
an AI system that harms human beings is simply not good AI. And I believe analytic predictability is as essential for safe AI as it is for the autopilot on an airplane. This committee has discussed ideas such as third-party testing, licensing, national agency, and international coordinating body, all of which I support. Here are some more ways to, as it said, move fast and fix things. First, an absolute right to know if one is interacting with a person or a machine. Boom, there it is. Second, no algorithms that can decide to kill human beings, particularly when attached to nuclear weapons. <laughs> Self-evident. Third, a kill switch that must be activated oh. if systems break into other computers or replicate themselves. Sure. Fourth, go beyond the voluntary steps announced last Friday. Systems that break the rules must be recalled from the market for anything from defaming real individuals to helping terrorists build biological weapons. Ooh. Now developers may argue way there, that preventing these behaviors yeah. is too hard because LLMs have no notion of truth and are just trying to help. This is no excuse. Eventually, and the sooner the better, I would say, we will develop forms of AI that are provably safe and beneficial, which can then be mandated. Until then, we need real regulation and a pervasive culture of safety. Thank you.